Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. The book of 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're in a Sunday school series right now of strengthening the brethren, understanding that as Jesus had given a prophecy, a commandment to Peter, that when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren, that the book of First and Second Peter are written for the, that purpose of fulfilling that prophecy, that commandment, that these books do strengthen the brethren, especially with hard times on the horizon, that now is the time to strengthen ourselves. Now is the time to develop the habit to live and behave like a Christian before it becomes harder to do so. And now as we've been walking through, we now find our way in the book of 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and notice with me in verse number 13. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and notice with me in verse number 13. 1 Peter 1, 13, the Bible says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all conversation, a manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is spoken of in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 16. Notice the phrase, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And with here we have the lesson of holy living in an unholy world. And here we could see the idea of what we're strengthening this time around is we're strengthening in holiness. Be strong in holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now it's God's desire for his people to live according to his plan. The book of 1 Peter specifically deals with how we can live the right way in a world that is continually wrong. Now for most Christians, the idea of holiness carries the idea of something that's unattainable. That you think the idea of holy, you think of some monk or some hermit that's living away from everything and that he's learned the answers to life, the universe, and everything. That he's someone who carries the answers. He's someone who lives so differently from everyone else, and that we make the concept of holiness, we make it something that is unattainable. And because it's so far away, and because it's unattainable, most Christians carry the idea with the idea of holiness, why bother? Why try? But the idea here is that God gives a clear command, be ye holy for I am holy. So therefore, if God gives a command, therefore it must be something that can be obeyed. And God does ask and command for his people to live holy lives. And remember that God's standard never changes. And God has always had the standard for his people to live 
holy lives. Now, God declares us to be holy, so therefore, we have to define our terms. What does it mean to be holy? Well, if we could do a quick summary term, it's Christ-likeness. To be like Christ. We are to be like our Lord. Now, biblical separation is not just separation from the world. It is separation unto the Lord from the world. May I illustrate this? Um, Zeb, Josh, and Krista. Come here, please. All right. Let's have you here. Let's have you here and you here. Okay? Now, if for illustration's sake, let me kind of demonstrate this. Let's say that this is God. Now, she is not God. As much as she may want the job, she is not God. All right? But for this illustration, let's say that she is God. Let's say that this is the church or Christians, okay? Now, we're hoping that you've come to know Christ as your Savior, but in this illustration, it's a representation. In this representation, hands out. All right, good. This here is the world, representation of the world. Now, normally what Christians do is that they separate themselves from the world, so there's a space between them, but they fail to separate themselves unto the Lord. Now, we know that the world is always getting further from the Lord. So what happens as the world goes away from God, the, the Christian and the church keep a separation, so there's a little space, but what happens as they're just separated from the world, but not unto the Lord? What happens to their relationship with the Lord? They go further away as well. Does that make sense? So let's restart. Good. So the Christian and the church are supposed to separate ourselves unto the Lord from the world. Now what happens as the world gets further and further away, what happens to the relationship between the church and the world and the Christian and the world? They get further apart. Does that make sense? This is the idea, thank you. This is the idea of holiness and Christ-likeness. Is that we're supposed to separate ourselves unto the Lord from the world. That the goal is God. We are anchored into the, uh, to the Lord. This is why some Christian groups, they have a separation. Let's give an example Let's take Mormon folks. Mormon folks, they dress differently than everyone else. They try to act differently. They have a code of ethics. They try to be really good people. They are separated from the world. However, because they're not separated unto the Lord, they get further and further away from the Lord themselves. So we see this with Christians. The Christians say, well, there's a difference between me and the world. I don't do all the things the world does. But the world is constantly getting further and further away. So the Christian who's not separated unto the Lord becomes further and further away. Oh, there's still a difference. I'm not like the world, but we're comparing it to the wrong person, to the wrong being. If we compare ourselves to the world, well, I'm better than the world. I'm different than the world. I don't do as bad as they do. But we get further and further away from God, and we're not at the place where we ought to be. By the way, another reason why Christians don't like holiness is because the more that the world separates from the Lord, the Christian becomes more and more obvious that they are different. And Christians don't like to be different. 
We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want the world to like us. But if there's more and more of a difference between us and the world, then the world will not like us because we're so different. Remember, the goal is not to be different. The goal is God. However, the more that we're separated unto the Lord, the more that we will be different. The more that we follow after God, the byproduct of the goal is that we will be different. This all carries the idea of holiness. And God demands and asks and commands that we live holy lives with the definition that it's Christ-likeness. It is separation from the world unto the Lord. That we are separated unto the Lord. Be ye holy as I am holy. Now with this, let's examine this text and let's see just a little bit more about this concept of holiness here. The first thing I'd like to show you from the text is the mind of the holy life. The mind of the holy life. We're in 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And notice with me in verse number 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end of the grace that is to be brought unto you under the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the first phrase in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. How can we live a holy life in an unholy world? Well, the battleground is in the mind. Notice what it says here. It says, But gird up the loins of your mind. Now this was a phrase that the people of the ancient world would understand. That even in the ancient world there was a difference between male clothing and female clothing. And male clothing, even though they had the skirts and the robes, they had made a special... Their males were designed a little bit differently that they could grab the bottom of their robes and they could tuck it in into the girdle that they had. This will allow them not to be impeded so they could run and they could get something done. It's allowed for them to get something accomplished. And so this phrase appears in the ancient world and all throughout the Bible, gird your loins. In the Bible, you'll say, gird yourself up like a man. So in this, have the idea that you have these flowing skirts, these flowing robes, and you could take this and tuck it in. And what you're doing is that you're, um, you're making it so that way there's nothing dangling. There's nothing where, uh, <coughs> loose. It is tucking in all the loose threads, if you want to carry that idea. Well, in here, as it says in verse 13, It says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What it's carrying the idea is taking all the loose threads and bringing them together. If we could make a different idea of it, it has the idea of disciplining your mind. Most people's mind are not a disciplined mind. Anything goes. Their mind wanders to and fro. They don't have much discipline. That when they're asked, okay, I'm going to read my Bible. They start reading, get a couple words, and their mind starts going on birds and this and this. It's a lack of discipline. All right, it's time to pray. As I start praying, the next thing I know, I'm thinking about this and going up here. There's a lack of discipline. And by the way, you could discipline anything. For example, we could discipline our bodies to compete physically, to do something. It's exercise. We can discipline our minds, and it's needed to discipline our minds. This is what it's carrying the idea. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Because what we're understanding, that if we're going to understand holiness, 
the battleground begins in your mind. And it carries the idea that there should be a discipline in the mind. There should be something going on in the mind that lets us be separated from the world unto the Lord. It begins in the mind. If you don't mind, let's show you a couple texts that builds upon this idea that the battleground is in the mind and that the beginning of holiness is in the mind. Notice if you don't mind, look with me. We're going to come back here eventually. But notice with me in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. If you're in 1 Peter, turn the other direction. You find the book of James and then the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 12. Again, What we're trying to teach is that holiness is not something so mystical and so fantastic that nobody could achieve it. That it's something that you're always looking for and that it becomes such an unattainable goal, so why try? Holiness is a commandment which is expected to be obeyed. So therefore, it is obtainable. So therefore, we have to define what do we mean by this? It's Christ-likeness. It carries the idea of separate it from the world, separate it unto the Lord. We know that holiness begins in the mind. It is the battleground of the mind. It is disciplining your mind. With that, notice with me the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. And notice with me verses 2 and 3. Hebrews 12 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We'll pause there. Remember, this is the definition of faith, is looking unto Jesus. You know you could discipline your mind to look unto Jesus? And it does take discipline. We know that it's not natural. How do you know? Because you start worrying about things. Your natural indication is to look at the things right in front of you instead of look beyond them and to look to the Lord. You discipline yourself to look past the circumstances to see the God of your circumstances. It's separating ourselves unto the Lord, looking unto Jesus. Notice as it continues on. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Where does the battleground begin? It's in your mind. Where does it What does it entail? It entails looking unto Jesus. Now, when we come to a place that's difficult in our lives, we have to consider Jesus. Jesus, who died on the cross for the same people who are currently putting him to death. That's a contradiction. Who would die for the people who are killing you? These are people that were gambling for his clothes, making fun of him, jeering him, had sentenced him to death, who were cheering for him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus died for them. And when we come to the difficult times in our life, when we come to the place that we have to discipline our mind, we're to look unto Jesus and consider him unless if we don't, we get wearied and faint in our mind. The word faint means to quit. You know, there are hard times in our life. There are times where you feel like quitting. I quit this. I quit this. I quit my marriage. I quit church. I quit Sunday school. I quit reading my Bible. I quit trying to be a good person. There's a lot of things that make it hard in the life. How do you not quit and just give up and go with the flow? Remember, being a Christian means to go against the flow. As we're separated unto the Lord from the world, we become more different. You know how taxing that is? To be different from the world when it seems to be easier to flow with the world? 
looking unto Jesus as the answer. Unless we quit, why is it worth it to be different? Why is it worth it to try to live the Christian life? Why is it worth it to wake up on Sunday morning to show up to Sunday school? Why is it worth it to be faithful on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday night, when I could do other things? Because I consider Jesus. That he loved me and he died for me. To think about him. Otherwise it's easy to grow weary and well doing as the Bible says somewhere else. I can get tired of living the Christian life. Unless my attention's on him. I am separated unto the Lord. And this does require a discipline of the mind. I purposely on purpose look unto Jesus. I could look at the circumstances I could look at the people around me. I could look at the things around me. As no matter how hard I try, it's just not working. Well, if you look at the people, it's easy to quit. But if you look into Jesus, you can keep going. Looking unto Jesus. This is part of that discipline of the mind. On purpose, looking at him. On purpose, considering him. Notice, if you don't mind, as we continue to understand the battleground of the mind as we're dealing with holiness, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Again, we're trying to break it down and trying to give you an understanding that holiness is obtainable. Holiness is something we're commanded to do with the expectation for us to obey it. So we have to understand what holiness is and where do we get it. The battleground is in the mind. We are to discipline our mind. Take those loose threads, tuck them in. Discipline the mind. We know that faith is looking unto Jesus. That's how we not quit. That's how we don't faint. That's how we don't get weary is looking unto him. The battlegrounds of the mind, notice with me in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, notice with me if you don't mind starting at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Let me pause here. This tells us people are not our enemies. You know what Satan loves to do? He loves to get people to fight against each other. He loves to make you think that you have enemies. And this is why we have so many conflict in our world today. Satan's done a pretty good job of stirring us up. I read a study once that said if you take black ants and you take red ants and you put them in the jar, they don't fight unless you shake it up. And then all of a sudden the black ants will fight the red ants and the red ants will fight the black ants. Well, Satan's done a pretty good job shaking the jar right now. And by the way, <laughs> the other ants were not the enemy. The person who shook the jar was the problem, right? Satan loves to stir us up so we feel like we're fighting against people. People are not our enemy. If you want to really discipline your mind, if you can get that one statement down, it will help you tremendously. Because we all feel like we have enemies. He doesn't like me. She doesn't like me. He doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect me. He's against me. She's against me. Aren't those things that normally run through our mind? People are not our enemy. That helps you to deal with people better and easier if you don't see them as the enemy. Notice as it goes on. For though we not walk in the flesh, we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Meaning that the weapons in our warfare, we're not using guns or grenades. We're not using knives or swords. 
Because people are not our enemy. We are fighting a spiritual battle which requires spiritual weapons, not carnal weapons. As much as you would like to shoot Satan in the face with a gun, it's not going to work. That is not the problem. So, therefore, we must have spiritual weapons to fight in a spiritual war. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds is like a castle or a fortress. And there are fortresses and castles that are in people's minds. This is where the battleground is. And so if you can imagine the landscape of your mind, however you see your landscape, some of you might see it dark and stormy night and have the castle on top of a big hill with fog all around it and the thunderstorm and it looks pretty imposing. I don't know how your mind is, whether it's dark and stormy, if it's sunny days and rainbows or whatnot. But more than likely, there's a stronghold in the middle that breaks up the whole uh, area. Notice as it goes on. I'll get back to the strongholds in a second. Casting down imaginations. That's in the mind. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So do you know that there are thoughts in your mind that exalts itself over the knowledge of God? Meaning that that thought is not lining up with the Bible. It doesn't line up with God's character. And we all have plenty of thoughts that don't line up with the Bible. Notice this. Casting down the imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, the battlegrounds in the mind, to the obedience of Christ. So here it talks about that every thought we have to do something with. Let's go back to the strongholds. How did the strongholds get there? Brick by brick. Where do the bricks come from? You have a thought. You have to do something with that thought. Do I give it over to God and put it in captivity? Or do I let the thought dwell? Well, if you let the thought alone and you don't bring it into captivity, you lay that brick and put it in the stronghold. Where do the strongholds come from? You built it yourself. Thought by thought by thought. And you place that brick down. And you place that brick down. And you place another one and another one. Let's give an example. Let's say that there's someone that's bitter with someone. Where does bitterness come from? Unforgiveness. So someone has an odd against someone and they don't deal with it properly. So they think about the person and they get mad at the person and they don't do anything with it. They take that brick and they lay it down. And soon you have an imposing fortress that's imposing. I cannot possibly imagine forgiving that person. It's such a big stronghold. There's no way I could conquer that thought. I'm always going to be upset with this person. There's nothing. We all know people like that. It could be that you were like that. All right. I have an ought against this people, this person, this thing. And you keep thinking about it and you don't do anything proper with the thought and you lay it brick by brick by brick. Let's take addictions. Let's say that someone has an addiction in their life. So the temptation comes. They don't deal with it properly. And so they lay it. That brick down. And that brick down. And so they build a big stronghold. This is why people who have addictions. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography. You name the thing. They can't quit. Because that fortress is there. And there's nothing they could do with it. Again, we're putting a visual picture with something that's going on. The battleground is in the mind. You say, well, I got this fortress. What do I do with it? Verse 4 again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God 
to the pulling down of strongholds. The battlegrounds in the mind. So as you now deal with that thought properly. How do I deal with that thought properly? Notice in verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Thought by thought you take that does this thought please you? If it does not, I encapsulate it. This is what the idea of, of to make into captive, to encapsulate it and toss it away. So I start to learn to unbuild the thing brick by brick and start to get in the habit disciplining my mind to deal with that. No, I cannot think that away about the person. God loves them. No, I can't. I need to forgive that person. No, I need to forgive that person. You take every thought, instead of building up the stronghold, eventually God will say, all right, it's time to pull it down. And he could pull it down. You couldn't break it yourself, but God can. Because the discipline is in the mind. The battleground is in the mind. In order to live a holy life, it begins with the mind, and it begins with the discipline. And it can be accomplished. It can be done thought by thought. Notice as it follows up in verse 6. And having the readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is full. This carries the idea that when you have a thought that you should not have, I on purpose, no, do not think that away. Lord, I'm looking at you. No, I should not think about that item, that thing, that addiction, that no. And God will give us grace. As we on purpose say no to it and look to Jesus. But we have to be on purpose ready. By the way, our thought mind, you know why you think that away? Because you enjoy thinking that away. But we have to be on purpose. No, this thought is not something I should think about. Let me give an example. I'm a guy, so I can only speak from a guy's perspective. But when you go out to the grocery store and you have the magazine trash rack, that the first glance is not sin. We look, oops. The second glance is. The lingering glance is. And our mind thinks about that. Ladies, you could apply that however you want. But I'm giving an example from our, a man's perspective. That the first glance isn't sin. But if I choose to keep looking at it. Then I'm building a stronghold. I'm building something up. But I have to say, no, I should not look at that. Lord, help me. And God will give you grace. You're taking that thought captive. And he could help destroy strongholds that may be in your life. But you have to be ready to say, no, don't think that away. No, don't deal with that thought. It, this is part of that discipline of the mind. Which is necessary for holiness because the battleground is in the mind. Let's continue on. Notice with me in the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you're in 2 Corinthians, keep turning the other direction. 1 Corinthians and then Romans. Romans chapter 12. By the way, this is my life verse on purpose. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Understanding that the battleground is in the mind. So how do I have a mind that is holy? How do I get to the place where I even want to not think those thoughts anymore? That's a good question. How do I not want to be angry with that person? How do I not want to be angry with those people? How do I get in the habit of forgiving someone? Well, I'm glad you asked. And the Bible has the answer. Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I want you to think about this. God says to present your bodies. Well, let's define our terms. What do we mean by bodies? Well, our bodies are made up of five senses. Taste, touch, hearing, sight, smell. Did I get them all? Okay, cool. You take your five senses which make up your body and you surrender them to God. God, I give you my eyes as a living sacrifice. Let only those things that are pleasing to you enter it in. You understand what you put into you is what comes out of you. And so if you put trash inside of your body, then trash is what's going to be there. However, when you put holy things and good things in you, then it's going to help you. You see, you're in a spiritual tug of war. Your flesh is fighting against your spirit. And the one you feed is the one that's going to win. If you feed your spirit more, then when it comes time to make the spiritual decisions like guard your mind, discipline your mind, then you are going to be strong enough to make those decisions. If you feed your flesh continually, then your flesh is going to win when it comes time to make those spiritual decisions. So we understand if you want to win the battleground of your mind, it starts by surrendering your body. Because what you put into you is what's going to come out of you. If I want to win a spiritual war, a spiritual battle, then what I have to do is fight it through spiritual means. If you read your fiction book more than your Bible, what's probably going to win when it comes time to make the spiritual decisions? This is why the greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the Word of God for yourself. What is your thought life alike? If you're thinking about spiritual things, thinking about Bible verse, thinking about how great God is. Well, when it comes time to make those spiritual decisions, it's going to be easy to side to the Lord. The battleground's in the mind, but to prepare that, we present our bodies. Notice in verse 2, Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that it's God that does the transforming of your mind. God changes the way that you think. God changes who you are. One of the most amazing things to watch in a Christian life is to watch a worldly sinner who believes like the world, acts like the world, has been adopted like the world, get saved. And then watch them start following after Christ. And then their thinking starts changing. They don't think like they used to anymore. Now, when they first got saved, they couldn't imagine thinking any other way. This is the only way. But they get saved and all of a sudden their thinking changes and the things they used to like, they no longer like anymore. The things they used to accept, they no longer accept anymore. The things they used to propagate, they no longer support anymore. And it's not because <coughs> they made a decision to purposely, I no longer... It naturally happens as they choose to follow after Christ. Because the battlegrounds in the mind, our job is to on purpose have things put into us and allow God to change our mind. Understanding that it's a spiritual war that's going on. 
Holiness is something that is obtainable because it's separating ourselves from the world unto the Lord. Holiness is something that should be done and it comes from a discipline of the mind. The battlegrounds in the mind. We have the mind of the holy life. As we turn back to 1 Peter chapter number 1, we now come to a second thing here. That was only point one. We'll go quickly now. Uh, the manner of the holy life. Notice with me 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And notice with me in verse 14. 1 Peter 1 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lust in your ignorance. We understand that faith will affect our entire life. It starts off as obedient children. God desires for us to be children who are obedient. We have to recognize those that are in authority and submit ourselves to them. This is part of it. God guides us and leads us through biblical leadership. That's a hard lesson to learn, but God does guide us. There is an umbrella that comes with biblical authority and biblical leadership. There's a guard that comes with it, a protection. And part of that is because, notice what it says in verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lust, notice this, in your ignorance. Now, we understand that being ignorant necessarily is not a bad thing, meaning that we're, when you say that you're ignorant in something, it's not calling someone down. The word ignorance carries the idea there's something you don't know. And by the way, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. And we don't know the stuff we don't know. So how are we going to know the stuff we don't know? Biblical authority is going to help guide us and teach us. Let's take teenagers, all right? Teenagers, well, let's take a little child, all right? You tell a little child, don't chase after balls in the street. But why? Because a big machine is going to come down the road and hit you. Do you think they really understand that concept? That they really understand that they're in a danger? No. There's something they don't know. I don't understand why dad wasn't let me. I should have the freedom to chase after balls in the streets if I want to. Now, I'm using that as an illustration because as you get older, use that same logic. You think you know everything. Teenagers, you have a bedtime at 10 o'clock. But I'm a teenager. I could go to bed. No, no, no. There are some things you don't understand right now. I'm helping you out. I'm helping you to have discipline. But, 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 no, 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 no. I'm trying to help you out in life. You have to wake up at 7 o'clock. It's summer. What kind of nonsense is this? I can sleep however I want. No, 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 no. You know, there's some things you may not understand, but I'm teaching you about discipline and you don't even know it yet. I'm using some illustrations. You plug in things from your own life. There are things that you don't know. How are you going to know them? Well, the Bible gives a principle that if we commit to God our ways, then understanding comes. Understanding is usually something we want first. No, no, no. You tell me why and then... God doesn't work that way. So many times he gets us to obey and then understanding will come. There's just something about that. This is how God works. This is the manner of our life. That he wants you to be obedient. Then as you're obedient, the understanding of the things you didn't know will come. This is the principle here. To obey those biblical authorities that we have in our life. I want you to think about the relationship between sin and ignorance. 
Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the smartest human was Adam. He came pre-programmed from God. What happened to Adam? He sinned. And when he sinned, came ignorance. You can go back and flow that logic yourself. Where did it come from? Sin. And because there's sin in our life, there's a lot of things we're ignorant on. Not meaning a derogatory term, but meaning as a matter of fact, there are things we don't know. How are we going to know them? As we choose to be obedient children. The manner of life brings this holy life. That as I surrender myself to God, I surrender Him and allow Him to teach me, Him to guide me, He'll give me more understanding which will equip me to live the holy life that He's given me. So we see the mind of the holy life. The battleground is in the mind. We see the manner of the holy life. That it comes with a submission, uh, obedience toward God, a desire to be obedient to Him. And He helps us with the holy life. Notice as it goes on in verse number 15 with that same thought. But as he which hath called you to be holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation is not just the words we say. It carries the idea of the behavior of life. That as we as obedient children surrender to him, he that is holy has called us to be holy, so we could be holy in all our behavior. There are some people who've mastered looking holy at church. They look good. I say the right things. I think I say the right things. I do the right things. I know when to stand up, sit down. I know how to carry my Bible. But they go home and they look nothing like who they are at church. They don't smell the same. They don't act the same. They don't look the same. They don't respond the same. Well, that's called hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy means actor. We got people who learn how to act holy. God says, I don't want you to be holy just for an hour or two a week. I want it to be in all manner of conversation, all areas of your life. That means you should be holy on Monday morning when you show up to work. Probably the hardest time to be holy. That and Friday afternoon, getting ready for the clock to click over. God desires for us to live holy all times of our life and all manner of our life. Which brings us to the last thing here. We see the mind of a holy life. The, the manner of a holy knife. Now we see the motive of the holy life. Notice with me in verse 16. Why should we live holy? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. We're commanded to live a holy life from the Lord. Do you know that you can't do anything you don't want to? If you don't want to live a holy life, no matter what rules and regulations are given to you, you can't live a holy life. You cannot legislate morality. You cannot set laws to make people holy. Holiness is something you choose. Why do I choose it? Because my master asked me to. And I want to please him. You see, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. The only reason why someone will live a holy life is because they made a choice to obey their master. Nobody wakes up one morning, stretches out, Woohoo! Guess what? I'm holy! This is great! I just fell asleep. I was a dirty, rotten sinner. Woohoo! I'm a, look at this! It doesn't work that way. It comes from a conscious, purposeful choice. Why should I even bother? If you have no desire to be pleasing to God, then you don't care what you think about. Isn't that a true statement? When we backslide and we're not trying to think about the Lord, our mind starts to wonder pretty easily. That's why when you backslide, you can get to the place where 
I read my Bible. I don't know what I read. I read my Bible. Well, that's part of us not desiring to be close to the Lord. Then it starts showing up in other areas in our life. God must be the goal. Why would I even bother being separated from the world? I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb because I want to be pleasing to him. And as I follow him, that's going to be a byproduct. I have to make a choice to serve him or not. Well, I don't care. I don't want to listen to what authority says. Well, then you're not going to unless God is your goal. This must be your motive. It must be God. And unless they make a choice to follow after God, it doesn't matter what you do. You could put all the rules that you want and it will not change their You know, we could see that in the Bible. You have a king by the name of Josiah who was right with God. And what he did is he put a lot of rules and regulations upon the kingdom with the hopes that they would live holy lives. What they did is they became compliant and not submitted. There's a difference. Submission is always a heart matter. You know, you could have a compliant teenager. What does that mean? It means teenager, go clean your room. Okay. And they go do it. Teenager, go take out the trash. Okay, good. Teenager, this is how I want you to dress. This is how I want you to look. Okay. But as soon as they get out from biblical authority, they go crazy. They do whatever they want. They dress however they want. They hang out with whoever they want. They keep their own hours. They do the whatever else. What happened? They were compliant, but not submissive. Because their goal was not God. They were just doing it because they had to. Not because they had the right motive. This is why raising teenagers, raising children, being biblical leadership, the goal we must instill in people is they must look at God. By the way, so many churches have this backwards, including Baptist churches. They teach you to dress right, look right, act right, speak right. They work on the outside and do nothing with the heart. God changes us from the inside out. Because they have to look to God. This is the choice for themselves. If they're looking for God, the rest of it is easy to modify. Because their motive is right. This is the secret for all of it. Is that we have to show them God. And bring them to the place where they make their own choice. I'm going to follow after God. As they make a choice to be separated unto the Lord. Then the holiness can be followed and helped and worked. But this is the motive. This is the key right here. It's not legislating morality. It's not giving them a list of rules in order to try to make them look like cookie cutters. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the right motive. It's a matter of making God the goal. God must be the goal. As a reminder, the Christian life, the Christian life is not a list of rules and regulations. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of prohibitions. It's quite simply follow after Christ. Everything else will fall into place. He must be the goal. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.